doesn't get any more foundational than this, God. It's your breath in our lungs. And for that simple fact, that simple reality, we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. We ask you to come this morning pour out your spirit on every person who is a part of the Bethany family here this morning. Every person who's gathered together, whether here in the sanctuary, at home, in their own sanctuary, may they be in the very presence of God himself. May they be surrounded by your angels. May they be a participant in the worship that's happening all around the globe right now in churches and in homes in isolation possibly we invite your presence to come and fill the place where we are with the presence of Jesus and may we sense a partnership as well with each other for where two or three even are gathered together in your name there you are in our midst we thank you Lord Jesus we ask all this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, all God's children said, Amen. Well, after that, we want to start with a little medicine. The Bible says laughter does good like medicine. So, did this about a month ago. I want to do it again this morning. Our friend Ziggy shows us that uh, when you fly now, there are a new combination face mask and air sickness mask. Do we have that, Chad? Or Billy? There we go. We're all set then, right? Ziggy again says, sometimes I'll just miss a payment to see if anyone still cares enough to send me a letter. Letter writing is a lost art. Maybe think about doing that this week. If you feel a little distant from other people, Think of someone you could just send a card, a letter, a phone call, an email, a text to, to encourage. This is certainly true. You notice that uh, the lockdown has really affected TV programming. The announcer says, stay tuned for a sneak peek at next week's rerun of an episode from last season. That's about the size of it anymore, isn't it? Sports has given us a little bit of an encouragement, a little bit of a shot in the arm. Unfortunately, wearing masks uh, as a baseball player can interfere with your gum chewing. So that makes things a little difficult. But masks is a theme in our culture. You've got a mouse kind of coming home here and says, these hammocks, free hammocks all over town, it's like a miracle. And it's true, and I think the new state seal of California would confirm this, right? Uh, some early caveman art kind of typifies the situation we find ourselves in. He says, uh, the artist says, I, I call it virtual reality. Uh, right about now, it's about the only kind of reality we get to experience, right, is what we experience uh, online. And we have Zoom meetings. I uh, had breakfast and was listening to family focus and Bruce teaching another wonderful lesson on faithfulness and appreciate his own faithfulness in teaching and uh, he and Chris gathering uh, uh, the Bethany family together in their 
ministry. Uh, but in all of the Zoom meetings that we take place, uh, here's someone meeting, and the one on the screen says, I love that you have a rundown shack as your background. He says, thanks. Wait, what? If you've been in a Zoom meeting or a FaceTime meeting, you might understand what that means. So let's go on to today's message. We're here at 40 Days of Prayer. 40 Days of Prayer. And we're taking kind of our theme this morning from a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that tells us that during a season of challenge, a season of change, even possibly a a season of crisis, we're called to remember. We're called to remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. God wants to know what is in our heart. We need to know what is in our heart. Sometimes we're not aware. And we say with the psalmist, God, would you search our hearts? Test us. See what we're all about. Our passage this morning is about 40 days of prayer, and it comes from a season when Israel was in 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. And it is kind of prompted by a, a book that I referenced last week and I want to share a little bit from it a little bit later about this season in the wilderness for Israel and how you and I are also in a season of some uncertainty. We're not where we used to be. We're not where we're going to be. We're sort of stuck in the middle with you. Here we are. What's the point of this time? What's the point of this season? How can we ask God to make this time a redemptive time and not simply a wasted time? Well, in Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy is uh, one lengthy message or sermon, if you will, or actually five from the heart of Moses, the great leader of Israel. They have made their exit from oppression and death in Egypt, but they're not yet to the promised land. And so Moses advises them, starting with verse 1, be careful, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. He says, my goal for you, my heart for you is this, that you may live and increase. That you may live and increase. He wants us to experience life in its fullness. Even now, even in a wilderness experience. And he wants them to increase. He's looking toward the future. He's looking toward next generation. The word we could use there, if the first word would be live, the second word would be leave a legacy a legacy for future generations. He wants us to experience what he has promised to us. And here's this key word. It's a passage that's all about remembering. It's about recalling. It's about not forgetting. 
what the Lord has done and who the Lord is. And so verse 2, remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Now Moses and the people of Israel are kind of toward the close of that 40 years. He led you all the way. He brought you out of captivity, but he has led you all the way in the wilderness. You may feel frustrated that you don't have more progress in your life, more momentum. You may be wounded and hurt by things that have come into your life as a direct result of the coronavirus and what is going on in our culture in regards to trying to to overcome that virus. But we're to remember what the Lord our God has done. He led us all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And when he says all the way, it refers to us, Dan Block says in his commentary on Deuteronomy, that word way refers metaphorically to the course of conduct that Yahweh prescribes for the Israelites, the path they're to follow, and also to his way, his own manner of dealing with people and the underlying motivation for his actions, his love for them, his path for them, the kind of God that he is and the kind of people he calls them to be. He's led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And what was the point of this 40 years? What was the purpose of this 40 years? We could look at these 40 years of wandering. We could look at these now four months of online services for us as a church family. We're, we're not able to be together. We're in some form of seclusion or even quarantine or isolation. There may be many forms of, of loneliness going on, and we wonder, what's the point of this, God? And he said to Israel, these 40 days, 40 years, have been to humble, to humble you, to humble you. God wants to humble us. Why? Because when we're driven to our knees, there's only one way to look. There's only one way out. There's only one way up. He wants to humble us and he wants to test us. He wants to test us. Now, none of us like tests in our culture, but in biblical language, Old Testament and New, test refers to what takes place to kind of prove the kind of people that you are. He said, I want to test you, he says, in order to know what is in your heart. God says, I, I see what you're doing, but I want to know what's in your heart. And man, is there a lot of stuff in our hearts right now during this season of time. We've had not 40 days, we've had 120 days in this safer at home, stay at home, wear a mask, coronavirus crisis. And now we're entering a, a season of 40 days where we're looking to God and say, God, we ask you to do what you do, to do what you want to do, which is to help us to live and to have a legacy. And to do that, you begin by humbling us and testing us and examining us to see what's in our hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. God wants to know the kind of people that we are, 
And nothing brings that out better than one of two extremes, a crisis or a victory. Times that we view as negative or times that we view as positive. Times that we might view as a failure, times we might view as a success. These kinds of extremes test us and God tests us to see the kind of people that we are. Verse 3, he goes on, he humbled you. Again, second time, he humbled you. We'll see it again in this passage. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. He humbled you in two ways. The first was causing you to hunger. Recognize that in the wilderness you may not have the kind of provisions that you want. You may not be able to, in a sense, provide for yourself. You may be struggling. You may be struggling with essentials, even food. But God humbles us also by providing us with food. In the wilderness, he provided them with manna which was a word in the ancient Near Eastern world that essentially mean, what on earth is this? It's a, kind of a root of that word is what? It's manna. We don't know exactly what it was. Scholars disagree as to what it might be. It was a, a, a substance that God provided every day, and so there could be frustration with it in that there was monotony in it. There wasn't a lot of variety. They couldn't get out to the stores. Possibly they couldn't get a delivery from the stores. And they all had manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. And he did this, why? Just to beat you down? Just to make you feel bad? No, he did this to teach you a gift that's transformative, a gift that leads you to life, a gift that enables you to leave a legacy. He did this to teach you that people don't live on bread alone. Be very careful to read what the Bible says exactly. You hear sometimes people say money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't say that. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And here he says you don't live by bread. He says, no, you don't live by bread alone. The things that you ingest it's important but it's not enough to give you life and a legacy to have the full experience of life and to have a a legacy to leave for the next generation you have to rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God and in fact word is not in the Hebrew text it's on everything that comes from God's mouth on everything that comes from God's mouth, which includes his deliverance from evil, his leadership all the way in the wilderness, in the desert, these 40 years, his provision for their physical needs. He says, during these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Listen, you take a a hike for 40 years, your feet are gonna get warm in that Israeli desert but I took care of your needs. I took care of what took place. I I provided for you. I gave you manna itself. I provided your needs. I gave you water in the desert. And I also gave you my word, the commandments, that by following them will give you life. 
This is what gives us life, everything that comes from the mouth of God. We should be like the baby chicks just hanging out in the nest waiting for the return of the mother bird that's going to provide for us the food and the sustenance that gets us through. Verse 3, know then, or excuse me, verse 5, know then in your heart, in that place that indicates where you really are, who you really are, know then in your heart that in the same way that a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, second time, the Lord, your God, is he your God or is he just a God? Or maybe you even believe that he is the God but is he your God? He would love to be. He created you to be his beloved son or beloved daughter. But have you made him your God? Have you welcomed him to be your God? And your God loves you, and because of that, he disciplines you. Verse 6, observe then the commands of the Lord your God walking in his ways and revering him. Three things we're called to do in the wilderness. Observe the commands of the Lord your God. Obey him, in other words. Follow him. Secondly, walking in his ways. Walking aligned with his character. Keeping in step with him as he leads you in the wilderness. Do you keep steady or are you just kind of sitting on your own in isolation and frustration? Wondering why things can't get back to normal. The Lord wants to walk with you right now. And he wants us to keep pace with him. And we even know what speed he walks, according to a Japanese theologian we'll look at in just a moment. And the final invitation in the wilderness is to revere him. To trust him, to honor him, to have the awe of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Verse 7, for the Lord your God, as you walk together, he is bringing you into a good land. God has good things in store for you. And he has good things in store for me through this season. Even though we look around and it looks a little bit like a wilderness. It looks a little bit like a desert. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. And it's a land with streams and pools of water will water they've been specifically without and frustrated about as we read uh, the books of uh, Exodus and Numbers particularly. They've lacked very much water. God's provided for them. But this land he's bringing them to, there's streams, there's pools of water, there's springs flowing in the valleys and hills. And because of that, there's vegetation. There's things that they can consume. There are things that they can enjoy. There's things that they can sell for money. It's a land with wheat and barley, with vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce. And you will lack nothing. A lack where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. I'm going to provide for you in every possible way. Now, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Praise him. That's another way of what we saw earlier in verse 6 of revering him. Praise him. Thank him. Bless him. 
And that's the letter of the word here. It's the same word for how God blesses us. We're to bless God. We're to thank him for the good gifts that he gives us. And we're to be careful, another kind of almost synonymous phrase here, be careful you do not forget the Lord, your God. Don't forget the Lord, but remember him, praise him, revere him. Don't forget him by failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and when you're satisfied, when you build fine houses, when you settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, maybe your finance right now aren't growing large during this season. It's true for most people in our state, in our nation, in our world. But when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, the danger is this, verse 14, that your heart which God is always looking at, which God is always examining, which God wants to, to test to see what's really there. Your heart can become proud and we can forget the Lord, your God. Fourth time, if I have counted right. You can forget the Lord, your God. You cannot be grateful to the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and has led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. He led you, verse 15 again, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Remember visiting with our uh, High school and college and young adults six or seven years ago when we made two trips to Bisbee, Arizona and Douglas, Arizona to help uh, our missionary who were uh, former missionaries, Warren and Betty Griffin, who were a pastor there in that area. And that was uh, an area of wilderness, an area of desert, an area that was pretty thirsty and waterless. And we saw some venomous snakes and some scorpions. In fact, at the end of our second visit, Warren mentioned, did any of the scorpions come up through, this, through the uh, drain in the shower? And I said, very funny, Warren. He says, I'm actually serious. They come up through the drain. That's what they do. I said, I've been, I've been in your home for, I think it had been over a week between the two visits and walking around without slippers on my feet. And you're telling me there's Oh, he said, oh, yeah. What he said, well, you just you step on them. They're used to me. I just crush them under my heel and, and go on. That's not how I feel about scorpions. I'm not crazy about scorpions. I'm not crazy about Gila monsters. I'm not crazy about rattlesnakes, which are plenteous on their property. It was a dangerous place that God brings us through in this life. He brought you water. Out of all things, hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. He did this, here we go again, third time at least, right? To humble you and to test you. Why? So that in the end it might go well with you. He's trying to shape you as a father, shapes and disciplines and trains his son or his daughter. Why? So that in the end it might go well with you. God has good things in store for us. And no matter what we go through here in this life, 
in the light of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. We can all have something beautiful waiting for us in the end. In the end, if we follow Jesus, it will go well for those of us who trust God. But the danger is, verse 17, that you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, again we're called to remember. Remember the Lord, your God. It's not me, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms this covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. What are we learning? What can we learn during a 40-day segment of time? A 40-day segment is important in Scripture, and 40 years are important, the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus only took 40 days to learn the lesson that God wanted to teach. Other people had 40 days. We had Moses who went into the wilderness from Egypt to kind of try to sort out his identity. Am I a child of Israel or a child of Egypt? He chose that I'm a child of, of Midian, and he chose to try to administer justice as an Egyptian. But God came to him there and told him to return to be part of the people of God. You got the prophet Elijah who fled before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel into the wilderness, eventually ended up in a cave where God spoke to him. You remember, not in flashes of lightning and peals of thunder, explosions of fire in a still, small voice and gave him a new commission to serve. The Apostle Paul, after his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, he retreated to the Arabian desert for a lengthy period of prayer and reflection. You see, some lessons take a long time to learn. Take us a long time to learn. 2 Peter 3.9 puts it this way, the Lord isn't slow. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promise. Do you ever feel like he is? The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises as some people think that he is. In fact, God isn't slow, he's patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and he wants no one to be lost. Some lessons take a, us a long time to learn. And in fact, I think I could even say that some of us, and pointing to myself here, some of us can be slow learners as well. We get frustrated when we're forced, because we almost have to be forced in our culture. It moves so fast. In fact, one of the ironies of uh, the safer at home time is that uh, traffic accidents didn't go down during this season because since the roads were less crowded, people decided to just drive faster. That's what we do when we're forced to slow down. We look for ways to speed up. There's a Japanese theologian who grew up in Japan and grew up and watched the, the firebombing of Tokyo itself leading up to the time of war. And he was just a young man. And 
the devastation never left him, the suffering that took place, and how God, in the person of his son, has come to experience our world and enter into our suffering, deeply touched him. He wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God. What's he mean? Let me tell you two things that he says, just two paragraphs that I want to read from Kozuki Koyama. He says, God, referring to Deuteronomy 8, God decided to spend 40 years to teach Israel one lesson. Let me read it again. God decided to spend 40 years to teach one lesson. Mind you, 40 years for one lesson. How slow and how patient. Now, no university could run on this basis. But if God decided that he would use 40 years, the the subject of the lesson must be of great importance in his view. God said, don't rely on the things that are around you, even that are useful things, even that are beneficial things like bread. We need bread to live, but we don't live on bread alone. We live instead on everything that comes from the mouth of God. And this lesson, this theologian tells us, cannot be learned easily in a comfortable classroom. Wilderness is a place where we are face to face with danger, and that is an educational situation for the people of God. They had found themselves in the wilderness. They were away from their, listen to how this resonates with where we find ourselves today. They were away from their familiar streets, grocery stores, railway stations, maybe we'd say freeways, dentists, banks, schools, hospitals. The familiar system and style of life were left behind. They felt increasingly precarious. Danger had come into their soul. God wanted to teach them a lesson. Could God want to teach you and I a lesson? Could God take his time teaching us a lesson? Now, something else he says about the wilderness is this. He says, in the wilderness, our speed is slowed down until gradually we come to the speed on which we walk, which is around three miles an hour. And I have found, he says, that God goes slowly in his educational process for human beings. Forty years in the wilderness, that expression points to his basic educational philosophy. Forty years of national migration through the wilderness Three generations of the united monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon, 19 kings of Israel, and 20 kings of Judah. And the experience then of the prophets, the priests, the experience of exile and restoration. Isn't this a rather slow and a costly way for God to let his people know that his, about the covenant relationship between God and human beings. And then Jesus Christ came. 
He walked slowly. And he walked toward the full stop. He lost his mobility. He was nailed down. He was not even at three miles an hour as we walk. He's not moving. Full stop. What can be slower than full stop? Nailed down. At this point of full stop, the early church proclaims that the love of God to people is ultimately and fully revealed. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed, and it is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, but it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It is this speed that we walk and therefore it is the speed, the love of God walks. The people of God were taught the truth of bread and the word of God in the wilderness as they walked three miles an hour, step by step, with a three mile an hour. God, what do we want to do during 40 days of prayer? We want to ask God to help us to learn the lesson he's trying to teach us. It's been a long time we've been waiting. As of right now, it seems like we'll be waiting a little longer. Why not turn this moment into an educational moment, a growth moment, a learning moment? Why not use this time to learn how to slow down to the speed of love, the speed at which God walks, the speed of relationship? Some lessons, lessons take us a long time to learn. So we want to recognize, number two, write down in your notes, recognize the Lord's training program. We want to recognize the Lord's training program. He has a training regimen that he wants us to undergo. What's this training program? He's told us several times. He's repeated himself in the text so we don't miss it. He says, first of all, he's going to humble us. He's going to humble us. Sometimes when we're flat on our back, all we can do is to look up into the face of the God who walks with us slowly. We can't always provide for ourselves. We can't always, by direct effort, address all of our needs. Prayer is an admission of humility, a mission of our relative powerlessness. God wants to humble us and he will test us to see what's in us. And he will, third, he will teach us. And next, he does all this because he wants to know us. The living God wants to know us. He wants to know our hearts. In other words, who we really are. Not the persona or the mask that we often present to the watching world. We're like that guy in the comics earlier who 
the girl says, I, I love that kind of messed up dump that you've kind of put as your backdrop for Zoom or for FaceTime. No, that's sometimes who we really are. He wants to know us as we really are. He does because he loves us. Discipline, the discipline of a parent to a child is, is a word that sounds, it can sound harsh. But Proverbs 3 tells us, he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent, circle those two words, despise and resent. Don't resent his rebuke. When God wants to teach us, don't get angry. Why? Because the Lord disciplines, and now underline this phrase or circle it, those he loves. Have you sensed God trying to teach you something? Have you bucked against that lesson? Do you know that that lesson is an indication that your father deeply, deeply loves you and wants to get to know you better? He disciplines those he loves in the same way a father disciplines the son or the daughter that he delights in, circle delights in. God both loves you right now in the predicament that you're in, and he slows down to walk with you to three miles per hour because he delights in you. This week, um, son and daughter-in-law and grandkids have been on a vacation. I miss them. Why? Because I love them. I delight in them. We're talking uh, regularly to Shelby and to Ryan. We're looking forward to them coming home and especially looking forward to hanging out with little Luca, who we've not been able to spend very much time with in person, although we were there before he was born and then as soon as he was born and he's been to visit us before, but to come home, we, we delight in our kids, we delight in our grandkids, Allie as well, and the Lord slows down to spend time with you and me. And some of us want nothing more than for this season of time to be over, to be gone, so we could move on, so we can get back and caught up to what we call normal speed, which biblically could be seen as abnormal speed and not the speed of love. God wants to train us Will we welcome that during these 40 days? And then number three, there are some best practices. There are some best ways that you and I can learn in the wilderness. Number three, best ways that we can learn in the wilderness. What are they? He lists at least four. Starting in verse three, we see that we're to look to him as our life. How can we best learn in the wilderness? Well, first of all, look to him as your life. Bread alone will not cut it. Food alone will not cut it. Financial strength alone will not give you life, will not let you leave a legacy. We have to look to him for our life. That's how we learn in the wilderness. And then the rest of these come all from verse 6. It starts with obey him. This very passage says, remember the Lord your God, but be careful to follow every command I'm giving you. Obey him, follow him, observe his word, keep his Torah. All through the passage here we see that instruction to, 
to, again, continue looking to him for our life. Let him set the trajectory of your life. Let him tell you and show you how to live. Number three, the best way to learn the wilderness is to slow down. Now, this is a little frustrating because we kind of want to speed up. But God, I believe, calls us to slow down so that we can walk in his ways. You notice in Scripture we're called to walk with the Lord. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. That can't be done at anything other than the speed of love, the speed of three miles per hour. So instead of bucking and fighting and pushing back against the slowness that is forced on us in many ways, many of us feel mentally slow during this COVID-19 crisis. We have what's some call COVID brain. Anybody else experience that besides me? This is one of the ways that we learn when we intentionally slow down and walk in his ways. And finally, revere him. Revere him. We saw it in verse 6. We see it in verse 10. Praise the Lord your God for the good gifts he's given you. And then multiple times at the very beginning, verse 2, and then at the end, verse 18, remember the Lord your God. Think about him. Thank him. Now, what can we do for 40 days of prayer? I want to encourage you to begin in a very simple way. We're going to try and put up today on our website uh, a new uh, uh, page for 40 days of prayer and going to start posting uh, at least every day, something to reflect on from God's word, a way for us to slow down in his presence, a way for us to pray. And I want to invite you to participate with us by, by emailing or texting three things. The first, would you email or text a prayer request that you'd love for us to share with you in this season? Email us a prayer, a petition. Secondly, Email a praise. Email a praise. Remember God. Rejoice in God. Thank God. What is it that during this season you can thank God for? This will take effort. It won't be so hard to think of requests to pray for. But think of how God has been gracious to you, merciful to you, kind to you, present to you, providing for you, comforting you, encouraging you. Give us a prayer, a petition. Give us a praise, a thanks. And third, give us a, I call it a, a pull together. We could call it a partnership. Give us a verse of scripture. It could come from what we've looked at today that you'd like to pray over your Bethany family, for your Bethany family. Have it come from God's word. When we pray scripture, we know that God hears and answers because we're praying according to his heart. We, we want God during these 40 days to touch our hearts, to change our hearts, to transform our hearts, and to help to slow us and shape us into his likeness more and more. I want to pray, and then our worship team is going to come and ask God to do in our lives, what he's done before at many times in many seasons, 
to do again in our lives the things that he wants to do. Humble us, test us, teach us, heal us, provide for us, lead us. Living God, living God, we love you, we thank you, we know that you have good things in, for, in store for your children. We, we know that even in maybe ways that we don't understand, you are, you are trying to shape us right now. You can use this crisis, this season of time that seems sometimes that it's wasted time, it's useless time. You can use it to invite us into a, a walk an ongoing relationship where you lead us, you guide us, you teach us, you love us. Help us to slow down enough to keep in step with the three mile an hour God, the God who walks at the speed of love. And teach us to walk at the speed of love with you and with those we live around, we live with, we live among. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen.